You know, we've got this thing that we must run to meetings to get the presence of God. Let me give you an example that you're never going to forget. You know, we, everybody, or most people in this country, experiences um, the fear of, especially, let's take the people in the United States when it comes to finances now. They experience the fear of poverty all the time. They can go and eat in a restaurant, have the nicest meal, but there'll be this underlying fear. If you live in Johannesburg, (laughs) you've got this underlying fear all the time. Uh, Let's not talk about spooky Christians now, you know, that, that never feel. We talk about the normal guy. He feels fear all the time. Now, if you can feel fear all the time, why can't you feel God all the time? The reason why you feel fear all the time is because you are believing something all the time. (laughs) That's why we can feel God all the time. Because we don't change what we believe. If I I tell you, you know what? In your neighborhood, they're starting to break in like you can't believe. Three houses from you, they started to break in. In the block next to yours, they, 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 they beat somebody up. You know, If you start to hear that and you're in that conversation, what will happen if you hear voices at your window at two o'clock at night? You will fear. Now, let's say it wasn't somebody, it was me coming with a tape recorder with voices and I put it there at the window. There's no thief. But you'll experience, you'll be experiencing the presence of a thief. But there's no thief. Because of what you believe. So that's why to me it doesn't make sense to try and get the presence. We have the presence. We can feel God all the time. Go and check in your heart. Just be honest with with yourself. Check in your heart. There's an underlying knowing that God loves you. There's an underlying knowing that everything's going to be okay. It's called the presence of God, my friend. But we have had some, we, we've called the presence of God some spooky thing. I'm not saying people cannot fall over under the power of God. I'm not saying people cannot have a, a very strong uh, 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 feeling of it. I mean, while we were singing now, I feel it. But I know it's because I meditate upon it. Because what you think and ponder upon, believe in your heart, that's how you are and that's what you experience and feel. If you start to think of somebody that did you in in business five years ago, you feel anger. (laughs) But that anger wasn't there. But when you believe it and think upon it, then it's there. Now we don't, you know, when we go to bed at night, we don't lose the presence of God because we don't change our faith. We continue to believe the same gospel of grace. That's why we experience God all the time. So I want to just tell you guys, we don't... Yes. In some cases, um, Christians lead us in that direction. Because some of the songs, like that one song that says, we come into His presence, singing hallelujah. It means yes. I wasn't in His presence just now. You're right. So a lot of well-meaning Christian songs have kind of led us down a track which is just not right. Th- that's the thing. And it comes, a lot of the lyrics and stuff was born out of a wrong understanding. Of God. And if you, let me tell you something, if I tell you that you must get the presence of God, and you believe me, 
you also believe that you don't have it. And now who will not want the presence then? <laughs> I mean, you want God. So, uh, uh, any sincere person will want that presence. With all his strength and all his might, he will want that presence. Okay? So, so many times we chase after things that we do have. If a brick desires to be a brick, it will never feel how it feels to be a brick. (laughs) Because he doesn't know that he is that. (laughs) If you have the presence of God, let let me give you something more radical. You are the presence of God in this world. You are God's presence in this world. You are the body of Christ, man. You're the place where God lives. Now, how can the place where God lives desires God's presence? It doesn't make sense. So, I want to tell you what you experience and feel about God is directly linked to what you believe. Amen. So, um, you can know you feel it all the time. We are in grace. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I want to talk about commitment. Let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Talking about commitment. You know, so many times when we hear commitment... We, we think of uh, faith going to church faithfully, attending every cell group meeting. We think of our tithes and offerings, faithfully tithing, being faithful in the things of God. And for so many years that has been preached in the church. And that is what, when we think of faithfulness and commitment, you know, like on, on um, I, <laughs> I wrote... On, on Facebook uh, just a small thing about this and the one lady typed it she said when she heard the word commitment she got scared she said but she should have known better because when she read it she was so blessed because of what commitment really is right First Corinthians you know sometimes when we hear that why did she fear when she heard commitment because the, the, that word is connected to you you're not making it you're not good enough. You don't qualify. That's what it's connected to. Now, let's look a little bit at the faithfulness. We want to talk about faithfulness, commitment, um, meaning basically the same thing. Right. Uh, it says in verse 5, it says, that in everything you are enriched in Him, enriched by Him, in all utterance and in all knowledge. So what he says to the church in Corinth, it says that in everything we are enriched by Him, in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, that's when they believed it, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, who wants to be at that place? I mean, where you lack nothing, you come behind in nothing, there's nothing that even God can add to you, all there is for you now is to wait for Jesus to come. I mean, that's the church in Corinth. Do you know, go to chapter 7, you read what the church in Corinth did. 
they just, they didn't care about sexual immorality. They were sinners, man. According to our standards. But the way Paul comes is, he's not as, Paul is not a slave of sin. Therefore, he is not disqualifying people, but telling them the truth. And what he's telling them, he says, listen, when we came and we preached to you, this was when the people believed the gospel the first time. When they believed the gospel, after they have believed, and the testimony of Christ was confirmed in them, in other words, what they preached was, there's a new man in Christ, they believed it, and that new man manifested there. In other words, they said, hallelujah, I received the new birth. I mean, or I repent of my old way of living, I, ex- I receive what Christ has given me. When that happened, he says that was confirmed in you. So, it, it was just a confirmation of what has happened in that person's life. Confirmed in him. And he says, you come short of nothing. You were enriched. You are enriched by Christ in all your knowledge. So what I know about him and what I know about her and her and everybody here and the sinner in the street, all my knowledge has been enriched by one deed of Christ. You can't see people the same anymore. You, you, you only see, when you see somebody, you see a valuable person that God has died for, that maybe is not, never believed this, but that is ignorant of this knowledge, and that needs to come to the knowledge of the salvation of Jesus Christ, and that His sins has been paid for. That's, what, that's how you start to see people. Now you've got a message, you've got a boldness, where you can speak to people. I mean, you can come boldly to people. And here he says, these Man, hierdie, hierdie christen het nog pure houtkruis gereik, man. Verstaan jy? He's just received Jesus. He said to them, listen, you have been enriched. He says, I thank my God this for always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. That in everything you were enriched by Him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift. So they, they've reached the place <laughs> that we are seeking for the day they received Jesus. Coming behind in nothing. Who shall also confirm you unto the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is he saying? He says, when you received Jesus, you were blameless. You are blameless now. And you will continue to be blameless until the day of the Lord. The, the, the great day in the return of Jesus, I will be, He will confirm me. So who He is, now listen to this, His word was confirmed in me. When He comes and now, He confirms what is in me by who He is. I hope you hear what I'm trying to say. When, when he, he died and was resurrected, on my behalf. When I believed in Him, what has happened to Him, happened in me. Okay? And that message was confirmed in me. But now, He will confirm me. Blameless. Until the end. So, <laughs> when I received that, and, 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 and it manifested in my life, it was a confirmation of what happened in the cross. Who He is today, is a confirmation of who I am today. 
And He will confirm me even until the last day as blameless. So who He is, is the confirmation and the proof of me being blameless even until the last day. Isn't that awesome? Right. Verse 9. Okay, verse 8 again. Who shall also confirm you unto the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus. God is faithful, by whom you were called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So look at the faithfulness of God. What is the faithfulness of God? The faithfulness of God is that He is faithful towards man, so that you who believed and called upon the name of Jesus, He will confirm as blameless until the day of Jesus Christ coming short in nothing from God's perspective. And He is faithful in doing that until the last day. He's committed to that. And how is He committed? He says, where and in what platform and foundation does this commitment lie? In verse uh, verse 9, And God is faithful, by whom you were called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So, God's faithfulness rests in the fellowship that we have with God, in the fact that God became a human being. So, God's commitment towards us is... Shown in the fact that He is a human being. So we were called into fellowship with God inside Jesus. When God fellowshiped with man, when God became a human being. That's God's fellowship with man. And we have been called into that fellowship. The fellowship that God has with man in the body of Jesus. (laughs) So He says... My God is faithful to see me as blameless because His fellowship with me is in the body of Christ. And I've been called to that. So God's commitment to me is is shown in the resurrected Christ. And for God not to be committed to me as a human being, Jesus needs to cease to exist. For that's the platform of my fellowship. And of Him confirming me. (laughs) Now that's a better teaching about commitment. He's committed to me. He's committed to you. He's committed Himself completely. He's come to the place where He says, I commit myself to being, to the human race, to the form that I'll become one. I'll become one. Now, this is not a a good example, but it can help. If you like birds so much that you're willing to give up to become a bird, to, to to, to, to do things in the bird kingdom that can benefit them, that shows some commitment. And when you do it to the point that you can never change back. For He is forever our High Priest. So God said that He was willing to give all of that up so that He could become a human being. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 9. I think it's 9. Let me just read this quickly about Jesus. Perfected forever. You know Paul. Let me just say something about Paul and finances. When Paul had... When Paul had contentment, when he was content inside him, he had no need. So, 
How do you think that he walked this earth? With what attitude? With that of a poor man? <laughs> no ways. You're welcome, my brother. Come. That seat's for you. Amen. How did, how did Paul walk this earth? With, an, with a poverty mentality? I tell you, he had more boldness than the richest person. He didn't walk as if I need anything. He spoke as a man that has got no needs. A man that has needs and is conscious of his needs, the way he speaks and conducts his life and the way he walks and talks is different to a man that feels he's got no need. I remember when I was in the army, you could see the the, the kids or the, the soldiers that came in there after school whose parents was very rich. You were not allowed to have a car. You were not allowed to have a very expensive watch because they made everybody the same. You didn't know who was rich and who wasn't. But by the way he speaks. The way he talks. That's how Paul was. Don't let money give you that boldness. That boldness is yours. (laughs) Amen. You can talk as somebody that's got no need. I remember they asked me in George to go and give a teaching to businessmen. And some of the richest businessmen in George was there. And I could go there and speak from a perspective where I am not comparing myself to them. I could speak from a perspective where I, that has got much less. I think that time my income was 3,000 rand a month. (laughs) And I could go and teach millionaires. Principles concerning finances out of the Word of God. If you must be rich to teach you rich something, then Paul couldn't have written anything good. And Jesus couldn't teach anything about money. Because he walked where he wanted to be. Didn't have this horse with a golden saddle. Isn't it? So when it comes to to God confirming us, we start to walk in the thing where He declares that we are blameless all the time. We are blameless. And He confirms us unto the end and His faithfulness is in the fact that He became a human being. And He cannot change back. When God changed, what He changed from uh, sinful flesh was only glorified flesh, but still human flesh. Amen. Isaiah 9. Listen to this. Just about God. Uh, Verse 6. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. Jesus Christ in human flesh today is called the Mighty God. And I will tell you, the mighty God became a human being. And that is how He's committed to you. For we have been called into the fellowship of His Son. He has got fellowship with us in the Son. In the fact that God possesses glorified human flesh today. And for God not to uh, uh, confirm you as holy and blameless, you need to lose your flesh you need to stop, cease to be a, a human being, or he needs to stop. Yeah. 
He's not going to stop. He's not going to stop. He cannot change. What you saw in Jesus Christ when He walked this earth, when He was resurrected, especially in the resurrection, and after the resurrection, what Paul saw on, 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 um, on the Damascus road, and other times when Jesus appeared to Him, what He saw there is how God will look forevermore in human flesh. Hallelujah. We mustn't make Jesus the, 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 the small brother of God. No. Jesus and God is one. And we are one with God in the fact that God was willing to commit Himself to the human race by taking on flesh. Thank you, Jesus. That's why in the Bible, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, Jesus is referred to much more, is referred to more as the Son of Man than the Son of God. Because the message was that God became the Son of Man. God became a man. That's the message. That's God's commitment towards us. Hallelujah. There you can see. Let's read it again. Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So what will Jesus be called? The Everlasting Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. (laughs) Hallelujah. Father, I pray they will be one with us as we are one in each other. And that's how we are one. Because God became a human being, and when He became the human being, He came, he came in the order of Melchizedek. We'll talk about that, that a little bit later. He came in a certain order. And that order is the power of an endless life. He came with a power. The power that makes me holy forever is the power, that, it's, it's, it's the power that's in the body of Jesus that He will never die. If you've got somebody that represents you, in, say in America, representing your business. And that person does a very good job. That person makes you rich. If that person can never die, you'll always be rich. <laughs> because he's your, he's your representative. In the same way in Jesus. Jesus Christ, God became a human being. His name was called Jesus. For He will save people from their sins. That's what He likes to be known as. The, the God that saves from sin. Not the God that condemns. The God that saves from sin. He saved us from our sins. And He was resurrected. Thank God for the resurrection. If Jesus was not resurrected, then there wouldn't have been human flesh in heaven today. Representing the human race. Then we couldn't say, God is faithful and forever He will confirm us even until the last day as blameless. Needing nothing, only waiting for the return of the Lord. Now imagine you, you're in a place where you say, well, I need nothing, I only wait for the return of the Lord. And you know, whoever comes to me, I just share this with them. But I'm not even in need of sharing it. It's just an outflow of my life. Huh? That's, that's where these people were in Corinth, oft, just after they received the salvation of Jesus Christ. Amen. Right. Let's go to um, Hebrews chapter 4. Do you understand? Was it too complicated? Amen. Verse 14. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14. Does anybody have a message translation? Yeah. Okay, I'll read. I'll, I'll use it later. There's just... Uh... No man, the time... Okay, 
<laughs> ek begin nou. Verse 14. Seeing then that we have such a great high priest that passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the, with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in the time of need. So what he says is, look at our great high priest, the one that represents us. He's in the heavens, sinless. So we can come boldly. Why? Because the way the high priest works was this way. If a high priest was seen as sinless, the nation was seen as sinless. So if he's seen as sinless, we can come boldly because we will be seen as sinless before God. Because of Jesus. But can you do something wrong? Yes, you can still do things wrong. If you take out the law, you'll find there might be things that you do wrong. But in my relationship with God, my sins has been paid for. And I've got, it works on the, on the principle of representation and what Christ has done in the human race. And my fellowship with God is in the, perf- the, uh, uh, the perfection of Jesus. That's what it says. I've got that high priest. Right. Let's take another, another verse there. Uh, Hebrews 5 from verse 1. For every high priest taken from amongst men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. Who, when he, uh, when he have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is um, compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof he ought also, as for the people, so also for himself to offer sin. So it says that the priest comes and he sacrifices for the people, he also sacrifices for himself. And no man takes, takes this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So he says, nobody could decide to become a high priest, God called the high priest. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today I have begotten you. As he has said also in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, who, he, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong cry and tears unto him, that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. Though, I'll explain that now to you, though he were a son, yet learned the obedience by the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, this is what I want to get to, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him or believe upon him. Called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So what is he saying here? He says, you know, there were high priests. In the book of Psalms, you can go and read there, there was a, a, a prophecy that says, there will, be, there will come a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek was an old king in, in Genesis with Abraham. Now, this Melchizedek, didn't, there was no uh, genealogy of him written down. So, they wondered where he came from, you know, and when he died. It was never written down. So, they said... So, so, and that was a big thing in that time. They didn't know this king, the king of Salem, which then later became Jerusalem. Um, they didn't know this king, who he really was. Who was his mother and father? How did he come that he reigned? How did he die? So, there was, they said to him, according to genealogy, there was no beginning of days or end of days with him. Okay? Then it, said, it prophesied that there will come a high priest that will have... No beginning of days or end. 
And that high priest will be the one that will be the author of perfect salvation for us. Because all the other high priests, they lived, but they had sinned, therefore they died. So he had compassion, that high priest had to have compassion on the people, bring a sacrifice for the sin of the people. But then he died, then they had to get another one, and another one, and another one. But then this one came, and he's never dying. (laughs) And his sacrifice is perfect. It is so perfect that you never needed to give it again. It says in Hebrews 10, the reason why you give a sacrifice again and again and again is because the previous one didn't work. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1. You go and you, and and that's what I say with tithing. Why do you have to tithe every month to be blessed? Because it doesn't work. (laughs) If it worked, you'll only give it once. It's enough. The thing works. But it doesn't work. You do it, you see it doesn't work, then you give it again next month, you see it doesn't work, then you give it next month, it doesn't work. That's why, that's it, it's like the lotto, you try again, it never works, but you try again. (laughs) And then what happens in, in, in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1, it says that through those sacrifices, animal sacrifices, nobody could be cleansed. Because they had to be offered year by year. And if people could be cleansed, then the offering would have ceased. But when Jesus Christ came, in verse 14, through one sacrifice, He has perfected us forever. In verse 14. So that we don't need to sacrifice anymore. In the same way it speaks about the tithe in Hebrews chapter 7. It says there that uh, with a change of priesthood, there was by necessity also a change of law. And by the law, people had, had to give tithes to the, to, the, to the Levites. But that law has changed. It's written down there in Hebrews chapter 7. Just go and read it. It's written there. If any sacrifice in the Old Testament worked, it would have ceased. But it continued and continued and continued and continued and continued. Then one sacrifice came. God's commitment to you. And through one sacrifice, He has perfected you forever. And we in this perfection in our spirits awaits the return of Jesus Christ where we will see and witness the redemption of our physical human bodies unto His glorified body. That we will have immortal life in human flesh at the return of Jesus Christ. Now when Paul said that, they threw him out. They said he's mad. But let me tell you it's the truth. We will see that. Amen. Let's turn to Hebrews 7 quickly. And then I'm going to go to another, another part there. Hebrews 7. Hebrews 7 from verse 15. <clears throat> Listen to this. Now we talk about the priesthood of Jesus. The fellowship that God has with us. God's commitment with us is in the fact that Jesus is a human being and holy. If Jesus, for me to sin, Jesus needs to sin. For you to be a sinner before God, Jesus needs to sin. For God not to meet your needs, Jesus in heaven needs to do something that God cannot meet His need in heaven. (laughs) That's God's commitment to you. That's why I sleep in peace. Amen. For Jesus has made it. And we are in Christ. Colossians 3, I say it here every time and I find that I quote the scripture now basically every message I preach. We only have one life. The life of Christ. 
And when his life returned, we will see that our life was just like his life. <laughs> Amen. Oh, hallelujah. That's what it says. Listen to this. He says, verse 15, uh, uh, Hebrews 7, 15. And it is yet far more evident, for that after the similitude of Melchizedek there arise another priest. Yet it is made, yet uh, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. What makes us holy is not the law of a carnal commandment. What makes us holy is no law. What makes us holy is the fact that Jesus was sinless and lives forever. That makes me holy and keeps me holy. That makes me righteous and keeps me righteous. The experience of this in your life is directly linked to your belief of this. But from God's side, He is committed to you. The Bible clearly says, He says, if we are not faithful, He remains faithful for. He cannot deny Himself. <laughs> he remains faithful because He cannot cease to exist. How do you deny who you are? God's faithfulness towards us is continuous for He cannot deny the fact that the human being, Jesus Christ, is righteous and holy and blameless forever. That's God's commitment towards us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just see verse 25 there. Wherefore, He is able also. This is why He is able also to save them to the uttermost. <laughs> that come unto God by Him, seeing He lives forever to make intercession for them. Therefore, because He is a human being representing you, holy, righteous forevermore, that's why He can save you to the uttermost. It's like Reinhard Bonker says, from the guttermost to the uttermost. Hallelujah. To save you to the uttermost. Now this is an uttermost salvation, that nothing can take away your righteousness. That nothing can take away your sinlessness. Because Jesus Christ came and He confirms you unto the end. But Bertie, my, my son thinks I've sinned. We are talking about what God says about you. But my wife thinks I've sinned and said something wrong. Maybe I've sinned towards her, but we're talking about sin towards God. He has paid for our sins. Yes, He confirms us blameless until the end. And He is faithful towards that because of the power of an endless life in the human being, Jesus, who is also called God, representing you. By that, making it, making it able to save you to that uttermost. Amen. Now I want to read something. Can somebody just give me the message? I want to just read a scripture there. This is on one side. Okay. Thank you. Let's go to um, Galatians 5. Now, this is the commitment of God. God's commitment towards you is, in the, is not in how He feels today. God, doesn't, God, God can't come and say, well, I don't feel to bless so and so. Well, He's done this wrong now, I don't feel. He, the feeling that's in the, in the heart of God has got nothing to do with God confirming you blameless and holy. God came to, listen to this, God came to Moses, said to Moses, Moses, I'm merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant. That's who I am, that's my being. Then he lived amongst the people. 
Then God became angry. Then Moses said, God, you remember what you told me on the mountain about who you are? So God said, okay, I will not kill them. (laughs) Now this is the very same type of principle, just much more powerful. Because it's, it's, it's found in the fact that the human, that us, we became holy in Christ. And for God to come now and punish those who call upon His name and say, well, I send you to hell or I, something like harsh like that would be impossible. For you to go to hell that called upon the name of Jesus, Jesus needs to go to hell. Because we will be seated with Him. Isn't that powerful? I'm not so bad, but this is too good now. Well, I don't want to sound harsh, but just suck it up. It is the, this, this is the way it is. You can't change this. Go and talk to God about it. This is what He decided. This is His salvation plan. This is what the Bible of Corinthians says, what has not even come up into, into the mind of a man. What you could never even ponder upon, think about. He has prepared for us who believe in His name. Isn't it? That's what He's done for us. And now He's revealed it by His Holy Spirit to us. That we can preach this gospel and share this awesome good news with people all over the world. Amen. What scripture did I say? Galatians 5. Now, this is the commitment that God has towards us. Now, the commitment that there is in our hearts, because there's a lot of scriptures in the Bible that also talks about commitment. Our commitment is towards this gospel. That's our commitment. Our commitment is towards this gospel, to believe this continually. That's our commitment. My commitment, we're going to read this now. My commitment is to stay in the place where I believe I am holy forever by the blood of Jesus. My commit, and, and I stay committed to that. I'm not deviating from that. You're not deviating from that. We have fellowships together. We start groups at home. We preach in houses. Whatever we do. But we get come to a place where we encourage each other in this truth. And we stick to this. Because that's what He's come to do for us. And that's actually... Paul, Paul preached about this, but um, it's, it's almost... As foolish as to say, well, you must stick to drinking water. You know? You, uh, stay committed to drinking water. Because we do it. <laughs> you know you can't live without it. So it's not a burden that is placed upon somebody. You know you must now be committed. But what I'm saying to you is there's only one gospel. There's only one truth. And we believe that truth. And we stay with that. Paul says something so powerful. He says, I have completed my race. Okay? He says, I've reached my goal. And then he says what it was. I've kept the faith. I've kept the faith. Next time I'll start to preach a little bit about spiritual warfare and what it is in the New Testament. You'll be so blessed. The war that we are in is to keep on believing this simple gospel. Because there's so many things out there, so many voices out there that wants to rob us of our freedom. Galatians 5 verse 1. I've got 15 minutes. This is what it says. Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. I want to tell you friends, 
Don't let anyone ever, including yourself, put a harness of slavery on you. Stand in the freedom with which Christ has made you free. And when I talk about this freedom, and and I wrote this in one of my uh, daily devotional messages there, I said, the thing is, so many times we, we, we think that freedom is, well, I'm just free of the law. Yes, you're free of the law, but you know what that means? That means you are free from the power that sin has in your life. That's what it means. You are completely set free. It means instant forgiveness and instant deliverance 2,000 years ago. That's what it means. And we simply believe this. And when you believe this, we find the power of that truth manifesting in our lives. So we are not going to get entangled into a yoke of bondage. That's what Paul says here. He says, don't let that happen. I am emphatic about this. The moment any one of you submits to circumcision or any other rule-keeping system, at that same moment Christ's hard-won gift of freedom is squandered. So what's our commitment? We sit under this gospel of His commitment to us that inspires us and empowers us that we say nothing else. Thank you, sir. Nothing else. I don't care if what who says. Listen. <laughs> we don't... And th- this is the thing. We come to a place where we are not open to be persuaded of anything else. I've reached that place. I'm not open for anything else. I'm not open for but these five steps worked. I don't care if it worked. If you've got a headache, take heroin, it will go away. You know, so it doesn't mean, the fact that something works doesn't mean it's right. You know? So, and, and that's what you say there. We become unteachable to the gospel of the law. It's good to be unteachable. First John says, you have the Holy Spirit and you need that no one teach you, teach you. So what was he telling the people there? Stick to the gospel of grace and don't let the law guide teach you teach you the law. Don't be teachable to what brings death to you. Because we have got a commitment and a faithfulness towards this gospel. We've got a strong obedience to this gospel. When the Bible talks about obedience in the New Testament, it talks about believing this message and staying believing this message. Amen. Anything else will just bring... Listen to what it says here. I mean, this is what the Bible says. I'm not trying to to change this. It says, if any one of you submits to circumcision or any other rule-keeping system, at that same moment, Christ's heart-won gift of freedom is squandered. I repeat my warning. The person who accepts the way of circumcision that was the the law system, trades all the advantages of the free life in Christ for the obligations of the slave life of the law. Must I read it again? It's so powerful, man. I've read this 20 times and it blesses me every time. The person who accepts the ways of circumcision trades all the advantages of the free life in Christ for the obligations of the slave life of the law. You have become, no sorry, here it is, I suspect, listen to this, I suspect you would never intend this, but this is what happens. Listen to it. 
I suspect you would never intend this, but this is what happens. When you attempt to live by your own religious plans and projects, you are cut off from Christ. You fall out of grace. (laughs) Oh man. Do you see the consequence of not sticking to grace? Don't make this a law. Well, I must stick to grace. I must stick. No, 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 no. All I'm saying is, allow God to love you. And like the Bible says in Jude, keep yourself in the love of God. That doesn't mean go and love people. It means keep yourself in the place where you experience and hear how much He loves you all the time, all the time, all the time. Amen. That's the gospel. And the thing is that we have out there is, 99% of the people that are in the law today and under rule-keeping system that is actually squandering the free gift of Christ, they don't intend that. But it's what happens. It is what happens. It happened to me. It happened to every one of us. That's what happened. But we're not going to change this freedom for the slave life of the law. We became free. He's committed to us. And we are committed to His commitment to us. Amen. By simply saying, that is God's only truth. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I want to thank you for your awesome love. Thank you that you are so committed to us. Thank you that your commitment doesn't lie in the feeling that you have every morning and what you feel today or tomorrow. Thank you that your commitment is much greater than that, that we've been called to the fellowship of His Son. Thank you that there is something like the fellowship of His Son. Thank you that we can know that you have made us holy and righteous. Thank you that we are not going to submit to some rule-keeping system in no area of our lives when it comes to our relationship with you. For we don't want to squander this and exchange this freedom for a dead religion where it's do this, do that, then God will, then God will. Thank you that you've set us free, my Father, in Jesus' mighty name. There is no name like the name of Jesus. When we hear the name Jesus, it says fellowship of His Son. When we say the name Jesus, it means the power of an an immortal life, an unending life confirming me as righteous forevermore. The name Jesus means God's commitment to man. And Lord, Your Word is is such a miraculous word, how can we but obey? And simply say, we stand for the gospel of grace. We stand for what Jesus Christ has done. We don't stand for a religious system. We don't even, we're not going to place ourselves under any bondage. We're not squandering this message. We don't want to fall from the influence of God. Thank you, my God. Amen. Amen. I just want to add this and just, this is just the cherry, the marshmallows on the Hot chocolate. <coughs> when we fall from grace, is grace is God's influence upon us. When you get under the law, that law influences you. That's what Paul said in Romans 7. When I got under the law, the law influenced me. And it worked all evil desires in me. 
And they started to speak to me, tell me, do this, do this. And you start to feel different emotions inside you. And you are being influenced by the law. Or the word for influence in, is also the word grace. You are graced by the law. So you can either be graced or influenced by God or influenced by the law. So when we fall from graces, when we say, well, I don't stand under this free system anymore, I'm standing under the law and the law starts to dictate to you. You start to hear the voice, you think it's the voice of God. Because it is the voice of the God of this world. The, the God of this world, according to Second Corinthians chapter 4, is the law. It says the law blinds us in chapter 3. It says, 3 verse 14, by the reading of the law, we are veiled and blinded. And then in chapter 4 it says, those of you who believe on, who, who, who don't believe, the God of this world has blinded their eyes. Who's the God of this world? It's the law. It blinds your eyes. It blinds your way of seeing. So you hear a voice. But what voice is it? What influence is it? So let's stay under this so that we can have that sensitive heart. You know that we say, well I feel I want to do this. Let me do it. Amen. Hallelujah.